0: Good evening, everyone. I'm Mark. Wow, that was pitiful, guys, i, I got to say. Uh, but I won't make you do it again. You can repent later. And uh, next week, I want a hearty hello. It makes me feel bad. You're like, eh, Mark, you know, I was hoping it was Dan that was going to speak tonight. But... <laughs> I guess we'll take you, so, well, I am excited about being here tonight, and I am excited about sharing some stuff that God uh, uh, has put on my heart, uh, just this kind of this idea of worship. I think a lot of us were like Sydney growing, growing up, that our idea of, of worship was music time, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to have worship and like what Evan uh, did, and then You know, Mark's going to come up and blah, blah, blah. And then we get to have a response in worship and then we go. And then we're going to go out and have some pizza or some beer or whatever afterwards. And we're going to talk about that was good worship today. Yeah, yeah, Joe, that was good worship, you know. Or no, I didn't like the worship today, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and, I just, I think about that, and it, it, if that was worship, if, 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 if that definition of it was a few songs before someone kind of came up and, and shed um, just some ideas on Scripture, if that really was worship, how, how sad would that be? I mean, just what a limited understanding and view of Scripture, or of, of worship. And, and, and the idea behind that. And tonight I hope that, that you and I will be able to, to move closer to the heart and mind of God on this idea of worship and, and what it really means. Now, confusion about worship isn't a 21st century thing. It wasn't a 20th century thing. Uh, in fact, this is stuff that went on in the first century and, and thousands of years before Jesus even walked this earth, this kind of the idea of what is worship, where does it happen, who does it, you know, how, how does this all work together? And there used to be a common belief that, that worship actually before the temple happened at, at, at the base of this mountain. And and the Jews would go there and it was this sacred holy place. And and the Jews were were allowed to go there and, and worship and connect with Yahweh, connect with with God. And but other people were excluded from that. Like uh if you were a Gentile, not not of Jewish descent, if you were, you know, kind of foreign to to that land, that, that you weren't allowed to come and worship God. So you were kind of this outsider. And this commonly held belief uh, was held in a community uh, in Samaria. And uh, the Samaritans were these hated people because they were what they would consider half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile and they were the Samaritans. And they kind of were looked at as kind of traitors on the nation of Israel. And as, uh, as... things were going on, like Jews would always kind of uh, try to steer away from going through Samaria. And then one day, Jesus' disciples, you know, uh, you know, Jesus being a good, you know, Jewish rabbi that he was, you know, he decided to go straight through Samaria, you know, just who cares what anybody thinks, who cares what people tweet about it or post on Facebook, you know, Jesus in samaria can you can you believe that? you know all this kind of stuff you know, and retweet it and like destroy his reputation? He did not care. he like tweet what you want and uh, i 'm going through and so so He was going through with his disciples, and I'm sure that they were all, you know, kind of hunched down and everything. So he went up and started talking to this adulterous woman in the middle of the day uh, at this well. Now, that's a whole other story, but the important part for tonight is their interaction about worship. You see, she had that belief that if she really wanted to worship God, she wanted to have that experience, she had to go to this mountain. And what Jesus was talking to, her, he's like, look, it's not about a destination. It's about an expression. It's an expression of who you are. And John kind of records this in in chapter 4. And Jesus says, look, there is a time coming. Indeed, the time is here. The time is now when worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Bam! There you go. Jesus is saying, it's not about going to the foot of the mountain. It's not about going to a temple or a place. He's like, look, there's a time, and this time is actually here, where where we will worship God, we will worship Yahweh in spirit and in truth. And then he goes on, he says, you know what, in fact, the Father is actually looking for people who will worship him in that way. He's not looking for people come to a specific place or a time or engage in a certain activity, but he's looking for people who will come and worship him in spirit and in truth. And he goes on to say, this is because God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then the woman goes, hey, I know that there's this Messiah coming, this this kind of the chosen one, Kind of like uh, 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 Neo, you know, you are the chosen one, I'm not the chosen one. You know, I got that kind of thing, but like the real deal, the real Messiah, the real Savior, the the one who's going to fulfill the prophecy. She's like, look, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who they call Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And she's like looking for this guy named Christ. And he's like, dude, guess what? Guess what my last name is? I'm Jesus Christ. High five. You know, kind of idea. You know, he's like, I am the Messiah. And she's all like, whoa. And everybody's like, whoa. And, uh, you know, and, and like the, just this moment that he's dropping the bomb right at this well with this adulterous woman, not, not in front of kings or, or anything, but in a place where he shouldn't be or, or people thought he shouldn't be, talking to a woman he shouldn't have been talking to, and talking about, you know, just kind of moving the whole paradigm from a destination-based kind of idea of worship to this, this kind of expression-based Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He really expands the idea of worship. He says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That kind of ratches up the understanding and idea of worship, right? You're like, whatever you eat, when you're eating, when you're a decent pizza, you're meant to be eating that as an expression and bringing glory to God in in, in how we interact, how we interact with the server, how we conduct ourselves, whatever we drink. This is why you shouldn't drink like corporate light beer because it's just bad, you know, That, that an expression, an expression of worship of whatever we drink. I just did some marital counseling, and I kind of like blew their mind because nobody likes talking about sex with the pastor. Not a cool topic. And, I, and I, it's like, like, I don't care. I mean, I think it's funny because they're all like, Ooh, does the pastor have sex? The pastor has two kids. So, uh, it's just... so pastor knows. And, and the truth is the cool thing about sex, when it's done in the, you know, in the, in the understanding of how God set it up, I mean, it's worship. It's 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 man and woman coming together, and Scripture tells us what 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 God has put together. Don't let anyone separate. You know, when this van's a rocking, don't come and knocking, right? You know, kind of the, you know this idea that that anything that we do can be an expression of worship. But a lot of times, you know, we. We feel like we're forced into this kind of, uh, this place where we have to act, right? You ever, you know, you back row people. You know, you see people like up here and they're all like hands up in the air, especially like Pastor Dan, he's like, the the seagull has landed, or or, or, or I don't know, you know, if you, if you want to see the words, you don't want to sit over there, because Dan's like, he's one of those guys, you know, he throws up his hands, I do it sometimes, and, uh, but you sit back there, and sometimes it makes you feel bad, right, you're like, looking at Pastor Dan, he's like, about to take flight, and, and, and you're like, dang, I'm just not feeling it, no offense, Evan, and, uh, and, and. You're like you're thinking about that and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I should go sit in the front row and put my hands up or, or something like that. But you're just not there. You're, like, you're just dried up. And I want to talk a little bit about that and just kind of this idea. Because remember, God is looking for worshipers in what? Spirit and truth. God's not looking for a facade. He's not looking for you to act a certain way. That that, that, that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for people who will worship him in spirit, in truth, as an expression of who they are, an expression of what God has done in their life. But I want to take a step back. A lot of us, that that we're just not there, right? We just, we we may believe God, we may even have a relationship with Christ, but we're just just feel kind of used up. And in Ezekiel, there's this just uh, beautiful kind of picture that God just entrusts to Ezekiel. In fact, he takes Ezekiel out to this uh, just, just this barren place and there's these just dried bones Not like bones, like, you know, you finish it at, like, uh, piggies or something, and you got the, you know, like the meat still kind of hanging off there, and and you're, like, looking at your, like, wife or friend's plate, and they're, like, done, especially, you know, you gals, you know, you'll sit there, and you'll nibble on it, and leave, like, all the good, like, gristle and stuff on there, and you're looking across and going, I don't know her very well, but... Hey, what's that? You know, and grab, and grab it, right? And, you, you know, there's lots of good meat back, you know, on there. And then after you know all that, you give it to a dog, and they, they chow on it, and it's all good. Well, we're not talking about those kind of bones. We're talking about the kind of bones that you would expect to find in a country barbecue place that's been out of business for 100 years in the middle of the desert, and there's just these pile of dried up, brittle bones, just bleached white. In fact, bones that if you picked them up, they would just kind of crumble into dust, right? So God brings Ezekiel out here and he's showing him all of these dry bones. And this is what he says in verse 11. He says, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. So the people of God, which hopefully most of us can include ourselves in, right? These people, these bones represent the people of God. They are saying we have become old and dry. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Kind of this this idea of, of, you know, circle in your Bible or on your fridge full, this kind of this idea that, that we have become old and dry bones. All hope is gone. And that's really it, Right? Hope is, the, is kind of the lifeblood of a person. If you have no hope, you're not going to go much farther. In fact, when you are void of hope, your, your life just seems empty. Yeah, I remember when I was going through my first major depression, I remember talking with my dad and just, and just telling him, Dad, I feel like each breath is going to be my last. Not because I was unhealthy or, you know, I was smoking non-filtered camels or something like that. It was because I had no hope or very little hope at that time. And it, and it took so much effort just to breathe in and exhale that I just felt like I was going to keel over an exhaustion. I was just... A pile of, of dried up bones. If you go back up into verse 4, God kind of unpacks this a little bit and he says to them, to, to Ezekiel, he says, Speak a prophetic message to these dry, dry bones and say, Now, if you're a heap of, of brittle, dried bones tonight, this is for you. Okay? This is for you. Listen to this dry bones. Listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know I am the Lord. This is so amazing to me. Kind of this picture and what God is trying to communicate. You see, a lot of us are kind of, our faith is like Lazarus kind of faith. You know, Lazarus, the guy who assumed room temperature, Jesus was out doing something. And they're like, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is sick. Come heal him. Come heal him. Come on. You know, if there's time, you know, we can can get there. And then the message changed to, Jesus, Lazarus is dead. Sad, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, no worries about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come. And Lazarus is, you know, in the in the tomb for several days, and he's, you know, he's starting to stink a little bit, but he's still got the blood and the and the and the and the muscle and and tissue and skin and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, okay, all the essential parts are there, right? And Jesus can resurrect. Lazarus, and we think that kind of that metaphor is like you know if I'm not too far gone, or that person's not too far gone. You know they still have all the essential parts, so Jesus can 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 bring this person back and restore them. And a lot of us that's we we feel that there's a point, you know maybe when our skin rots off or something, or or we're we're kind of like you know like looking like a shriveled up mummy or or something like that. That that you know okay. You know, God, I'm, it's too late for me. You ever hear that? You know, too far gone for God, or or something like that. Maybe you've even felt that. Like I hear people like, if I walked into your church, I would explode in fire. I'm like, cool, I want to see it come. You know, uh, you know, uh, that would be something, right? You know, I'd sell tickets. And and so the, this idea, but you know, that that there's a point where you can go too far for God, but 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 that's not what God's communicating here, is he? I mean, it's like if we were walking through like the Sahara Desert and, and, and we saw a pile of just dried bones, you know, like stuff you see in the National Geographic and you're like, eh, I wonder what it was. I don't know, but something made it or something killed it. Huh. Think it's going to come back to life? No, I don't. Why do you don't? Well, you don't because it's a pile of dried bones. You know, there's like no chance. And this is what God's saying. It's like, you know, if it was like got the blind staggers or it just fallen over or something like that, had a couple of vultures going around, you're like, yeah, hey, maybe there's a chance. But no, God is saying, you know what? You are never too far gone from me. I don't care if you are just a pile of... Of, of dried up, brittle bones. And you don't even have to have all your bones. Like a dog could have picked up your femur and walked off. I am God and I can make it work for you. You know, I will breathe life into you and put all your tissue together and everything, but it's cool. Why? Why? <laughs> then you will know I am the Lord. you know why I know the Lord is the Lord? Because... I don't think about every breath anymore, that God has filled me. And that's like the idea of worship going from dry bones to an overflow. Paul puts it this way in Romans, I pray that God, now circle this, the source of hope. So before we talked about all hope is gone, right? Why is all hope gone? Because God has left the building, at least you think so. You think there is no future. But Paul is saying, look, I pray to God that as the source of hope, He will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust Him. Then check out this next part. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to let you into my little twisted mind here. This is how I visualize it, and I think it it would just be an amazing kind of story. Okay, we have people who have lost all hope they're a pile of 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 dried brittle bones and God breathes life back into those bones and puts them back together and puts the 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 muscle and the and the blood and the the tendons and the veins and and puts the skin on and hair and 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 all this stuff and and revives that person but he doesn't stay there this is the problem with kind of salvation theology is you're saved now sit there and be good where where the gospel is you know what i am restoring you for a purpose i am going to fill you with hope but i'm not just gonna fill you out you you know you're you ever like getting a drink and people say like say when you're like stop Stop, stop, good jokes, right? And it starts overflowing. You didn't say when. That's the joke that God's playing on us. That are like, we start getting filled with this hope, and we're like, stop, stop, I can't take it anymore. And he's like, he hee, didn't say when. And you start overflowing, and your worship starts getting all over the place. And, and people are trying to wipe it up, but, but they just can't. Because he keeps on filling you in. And that is when you start worshiping in spirit and in truth. Because it is from an expression of of experiencing the life-giving breath of God. Paul in 2 Corinthians writes it like this. As a result of your ministry, as a result of this overflowing of your life, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, the gospel. That you love God, love people, that Christ came to die for our sins. Not so we can all sit at some destination somewhere and be good little boys and girls. But that we can be erupting vessels of worship that explode and get all over the place and bless the nations. It's kind of a different way of thinking about it, isn't it? See, some of you have been there before. I've been there before. There's been times that I haven't been there. And the reason is that Christ is meant to be the center. It is the axis point. Oh, I get it. Mark axis. Yeah. Axis point of our life. It's everything that our life is meant to revolve around. And when Christ is in the center, we have this this balance. Now, I I am not saying your life will be perfect. It will probably be way messed up. The winds of adversity will blow. But we all know that when our hearts and minds, our souls, our spirit, when we're we're spiritually and socially right, even when the winds of adversity are blowing through our life, we can transcend that circumstance, can't we? And still experience God. That is what I am talking about. But the problem is, everything wants that center spot. Your mom wants that center spot. Your job wants that center spot. Money wants that center spot. Power wants to be the access point. The cute blonde wants to be the access point. School wants to be the access point. Right? Everything wants to be the access point But for a follower of Christ, that's a problem because there's only one access point for a fully devoted follower of Christ. And that is Jesus Christ, right? So what happens is is when we get off center and something else takes our access point, that we start getting the wobbles. And then the circumstance starts to control how we view the world. This is how Isaiah writes it. Um, He records the Lord saying, These people say that they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship to me is nothing. Their worship is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Can you say all the books of the Bible frontwards and backwards? Good for you. You get a cookie. Do you have, you know, Leviticus memorized? Great. I bet you're a lot of fun at, you know, cocktail parties, right? (laughs) Worship. That is fueled by a facade is nothing. What did we talk about at the beginning? What who is God looking for? God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth, not a bunch of mind numb people who can, you know, find you know numbers thirty six in 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 two seconds. I don't even know if there is a Numbers 36. And you don't either. So don't be like sitting there going, oh, yeah, Mark, Pastor Mark doesn't know if there's a Numbers 36. Nobody knows, except the guy that wrote Numbers. And he probably doesn't even know. <laughs> this idea that, that, you know what, these people are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus quoted this a couple of times when the Pharisees were like doing their ritual hand washing and, and acting like they're, they're worshiping and, and coming to the temple. And you know what Jesus said? He said, you hypocrites. That's not a nice thing to call somebody. It's not a Christian thing to call somebody, right? That's calling people names. I mean, Jesus did all the time, you broods of vipers and stuff like that. You know, I think a lot of times in our minds we like to think of Jesus as this nice guy you would hang, want to hang out with. You know what? If you're a religious zealot, you would not want to hang out with Jesus because he would call you names. Because he isn't looking for religious zealots. He is looking for what? Worshippers in spirit and in truth. People who are overflowing And have opened up their lives as a vessel to God to let him pour in his blessings and pour in his hope. Why? So we can bless our friends and our family and our country and all of the nations. And we live as an expression of who God is and not how well we know the rules. Jesus kind of really pushes this even farther. And this kind of really goes to what is your center? You see the temple was a very big thing still is. Is a very big thing in the Jewish culture. And Jesus is there at the temple and 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 they've they believed that all the worship, you know, happened there and and commerce happened there and all the social I mean If if you got kicked out of the temple, it wasn't like you got to go to the you know the the other denominational uh, temple down the street. You were kicked out of the temple. You're hosed. You're hanging out with the Samaritans, and nobody wanted to do that. And they're talking about that, and and he's like, "Look, I'm going to go right for your center. I'm going to go right for your jugular, guys." He's like, "You know what?" This is what I want you to do. I want you to destroy this temple. I just think the temple's there. He's on the temple mount, you know. It's still the point of conflict for the whole world. And he's sitting there with this beautiful, you know, great image. See, I have this cheap illustration. He has the temple. It's not even fair. You know, and and he's got the temple behind him. And he's saying, tear this temple down. I mean, just picture Jesus in front of uh, 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 FSU Stadium. Yeah, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Oh, you know, and he's sitting on the horse with uh, Chief Osceola and and Renegade or whatever the, the, is that right, Renegade? Oh, I nailed it. I was trying to be funny and I nailed it. All right. And Renegade, and he's like, You know, tear this temple down. And he takes the spear and he like shoves it into the ground. And everybody's like, whoa, Jesus, you know, take some Prozac, you know, chill it down a little bit. You know, but he's going, he's like, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, getting to the heart of what our center is. And he says, destroy this and I will build it up again in three days. And they're like, what? 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 You're going to build up the temple in three days? It took us, you know, Oy it took us 46 years to build the temple, you know, right? And, uh, and, you know, and he's just like, Guys, you know, I got this beautiful imagery and you don't even get it. And then the disciples don't even get it. And then they realize after he raises from the dead three days later. They're like, "Uh, Remember when Jesus was saying, tear down the temple? Oh, yeah, that was clever you know, kind of idea. But, but just going right for the source of, of what was important to people. He's saying, no, it is not about being at the mountain. It's not about being at the temple. God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I want to end with just three short scriptures out of the New Testament talking about Christ being the center of our lives. First one is in First Corinthians chapter three. It is not the one who plants or the one who waters who is at the center of this process, but God who makes things grow. It's not the temple. It's, it's not Bible school. It's not even the Bible. I, I have a high view of Scripture. It's the Word of God. But it's not God. And God is saying, I am at the center of everything I am, at the, I am the source and the growth of your hope. Second one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. Has Christ's love moved you to extremes? His love has the first and last word in everything we do. The Alpha and the Omega. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center of the gospel. Again, what is the gospel? That Christ came to die for us so we can have a relationship with God. So we can be a blessing to the nations. That's the gospel. That's what you are invited into. And then the final one, Philippians chapter 4. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. God is a whole God, able to speak into every aspect of our lives, our intellect, our spirit, our bodies, our emotions, our relationships and society. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And maybe that is at the center of your life. You know, worry. Worry about this. Worry about that. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe, maybe it's your brokenness. Maybe it is power, money, cute blonde, you know, uh, uh, your work or school or whatever. And I just, you know, add that thing into your life. And it's, isn't it wonderful when Christ, when it, what happens when Christ displaces whatever your center is? And then allows you to embark on the life that you were meant to live. The life that God had envisioned for you. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, just uh, thank you for this time together as we dive into what it means to really be a fully devoted follower of you. The, the as we kind of talk about the things that can take you out of the center of our lives. God, I just pray that we will allow you to displace whatever is at the center of our life if if it is not you. And let us experience the life that you've envisioned for us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs)